my life ended up being a country and western song. My dog died, <laughs> my marriage ended, and my son died. So needless to say, I don't like country and western music anymore. That's Cindy Jerome, and we're just so grateful that she's trusted us with her story, and we'll engage back through her story a little bit as, as we are together here this morning. Um, she lost her son to an opioid addiction about 18 months ago, and she mentioned her, her marriage ended before that, and she found herself in, in places, as she's described before, as being just really angry, angry at like everyone, angry at God. And you may not be in a place where you've walked through that specific thing, but we all, as Dalia Lene says, we all bring our own stories into here, don't we? We bring all of our own challenges, the things that we're, we're up against. And I just wonder if the question in Cindy is also the question in many of us here and now. If the grave is empty, if God is the living God, then why can't I see him? Why can't I see him? I mean, just even with the news from Sri Lanka this morning, like, God, our world is on fire. Where are you? Maybe it's for you. It's, I can't see him in the church. That's why I quit going years ago. Maybe it's more personal for you, which is there's relational conflict, that your marriage feels like it's on the rocks. There's a diagnosis or there's just some tragedy that has struck, and you're right there in the midst of that place. Maybe it's with your kids. And you're just going, man, I'm in this place with them and they with me. And maybe you are a kid here this morning or you're a student and you have the same question. If God, you are for real, if you are out there, then why can't I see you? As you're walking around your campus, as you're scrolling through social media, maybe you're in the foster care system right now and you have all this uncertainty, nothing that feels like it anchors beneath your feet. And you go, how can I make sense of seeing a God when, when there's so much I can't see even right now in my life. I mean, we all bring our stories. I was just kind of asking God, like, when's a moment in time, there's been many, but when's a moment in time in which I've been in that, in that place where I'm just crying out? And I, and, and I was brought back to memory this time when I was in my early 20s, I was working in the marketplace, I was single, and uh, my company sent me to Hawaii for a four-month working assignment. Sounds nice, eh? Yeah, um, except for I was trying, emphasis on the word trying, trying to date a girl who lived in Baltimore at the time. And this is before like FaceTime, this is before cell phones, frankly, I think we had pagers back in the day. And kids, pagers were these little things. That, <laughs> like, How are you guys today, by the way? Yeah, are you good? I just want to say welcome. By the way, my name is Dan Diebel. It's my joy to serve as lead pastor here. And we just want to welcome you all. And if you have any questions about anything, please go to the hub, which is right to the left of the front doors, or see anyone wearing a bright green lanyard, and they would be happy to help you. Also want to greet everyone who's experiencing this, whether it's in any of our live stream uh, venues or whether in the comfort of your own home or wherever. We just want to say we're so glad to be together. And there I was in Hawaii trying to date a great gal, but the relationship was really unhealthy. 
And it was just this up, down thing. And I just remember, I don't remember the moment that like provoked it, but I remember it was kind of late at night and something was blowing up and I got in my car and I went to the shore. I went to this cove right on the beach. It was called Cockroach Cove, way prettier than it sounds. And there I am, my feet are in the sand and the, and the waves are just crashing. And I just have it out with God. I'm like, where are you? Why can't I see you? Why can't you work this out? Why can't you make this happen? I don't see you, God, and I need to. Now, that's not the same depth of pain as losing a son, but our hearts don't know the difference, do they, when they just hurt? And if you're in that place asking that question, I just want to tell you a few things right out of the gate. Number one, I think when you ask the question, where are you, God, I can't see you, it is a profound demonstration of faith to even ask the question. And I believe as human beings, we have this genetic like DNA code in us that's never forgotten the day back in the garden as it's so beautifully and poetically described when we walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Like there's something about us that hasn't given up on what used to always be, where we always saw God, where we always with God and here we are in our moments and everything breaking up and spilling around us and we go, this should be different. And we believe it can be. And I want to say to you right from the very start that we have a God who wants to draw near to you. The scriptures say, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That we have a God who wants to provide sightings of himself, connections with him all the time. If we would just open ourselves to that possibility. And I want to look at four different sightings in the scriptures of, of people that were not uh, even thinking it was a possibility that they might meet God or, or see God. They were questionable, doubtful, resistant, and just not even it wasn't on their radar. And the first one I want to look at is a man named Jacob. We got to go way, way back into the way back machine to like 4,500 years ago. Jacob was the son of Isaac. He was the grandson of Abraham, and he's in trouble. He's in trouble because he had swindled his way into gaining the lion's share of the family estate, and he had finagled his way into his father's stated affection at the great angst and anger and ire of his twin brother Esau, who then essentially put a bounty on his head. And him being Jacob, that is, being a mama's boy, his mom came to him and said, you got to get out of here to spare your life. And so Jacob packed up what he had. He left everything and he left everyone. And he went on a day's journey. And when the sun began to set that night and in his own exhaustion and weariness, he grabbed, and this is really fascinating, he grabbed a stone and slid it under his head as he nestled by a fire. And that's where God comes to him in his weary state, in his exhaustion, not so much, I would submit to you, from the physical journey, but from the uncertainty of the questions. Have I lost the promise that was for my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac? Am I still connected to my family? Will I ever see them again? Will I ever be on this land beneath my, me ever again? I believe it was in that uncertainty and exhaustion that God met him with sighting number one, and it was in a dream and here's how it begins in Genesis chapter 28. As Jacob slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth and up to heaven. Just with your mind's eye, I just want you to picture this. 
You're, you're, you're camping out by a campfire. You got a stone under your head for a pillow. And then in a deep sleep, you see it. Can you see this maybe marble staircase or this kind of ladder from heaven up to earth? And then as it describes it, these uh, angels ascending and descending. Let's bring it up if we can. Ascending and descending along this stairway. And at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said this. He said to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. In other words, God says to Jacob, this is still your family. You're still connected. Even though you're, you're on your mini exile, this is still your family. And the promises to your family are still your promises. But... What's with this ladder from earth to heaven? This is signaling that this is something just bigger than Jacob and bigger than his family. And we get a sense of that as we read on. It says this, your descendants, Jacob, will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. You see what God did in this moment? Jacob may not have even known he was asking these questions, though he was holding those questions so deep within him. And God comes specifically, uniquely, and says to him, you are not alone. And maybe you can't see me right now, but know this, I am intimately involved in your life. And though you are running away from a situation, know that you are running into my story for you. And I just wonder how many of us just need to know that right here, right now, that would be true for you too, that you are not alone, that God is intimately involved in your life. And that also the story is even bigger than you and me. It goes beyond that. That was the promise for Jacob. There's this meta story at play, and we see it, right? I just want to highlight this little line right in the middle where God says to Jacob, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. That's the very same promise that was given to his grandfather Abraham. And what it means is this, is that when everything went awry in the garden, when sin entered the world, and all of a sudden we were at separation with God, God said, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up on what I called good and very good. And I'm not giving up on the pinnacle of my creation, namely humanity. And I am going to constantly be redemptively at work to restore what was lost. And so God being relational at his core, he went to this man named Abraham. And he said, Abraham's going to be your kid and your kid's kid and your kid's 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 going to be all of your descendants that will form a family, but not just a family. There's going to be tribes and those tribes are going to become a people, namely the Jewish people. And they're going to become a nation and there's going to be kings, namely this king named David. And it's going to be through David that a Messiah will come. Messiah just means rescuer. The one who's going to, it's going to be through him. He's going to be a king and he's going to rule forever and ever on his throne. And he's going to take all that was lost in the garden. He's going to restore it and make it new again. That's the meta story. And there Jacob is with his body in the, in the dirt and his head on a stone. And he's being reminded of this grand story that he is a part of. And I love his response. It's amazing. 
I wonder if you've ever had this experience. Here's what he says. He says, truly, God is in this place. And I didn't even know it. That has just captured me. God was there and I didn't know it. You know what that's called? It's called hindsight. The ability to experience God by hindsight. That is a sighting. How many of us have been in that place where it was really hard and you were asking the, the tough questions, you know, and you were taking God to task, practicing that deep faith, but wondering and riddled with doubt and all of these things. But you look back now on that moment in your life and you go, oh, you were there. How many? Just show of hands. Where's that true in your life? Man, it was true for me in Hawaii. God was there the whole time. You know what he was doing? He was trying to keep me away from that relationship for her sake and for mine. You know why? Because there's this woman named Elise that he was saving me for. That's my wife, right? I don't mean to put the cherry on top of that story, but I look back and I go, God, you were there the whole time, not giving me what I was asking for because you had such a bigger story in mind. Sometimes sightings happen more in hindsight than in present or, or foresight. Sighting number two. Now, if we were 4,500 years ago, now we're gonna go about 2,000 years later which is 2,000 years or so um, from our time to a story between two dudes, Philip and Nathanael. This is right at the time of Jesus, and Philip is just minding his own business, going about what he was doing with his day when Jesus comes up. And Jesus is, is a rabbi, and so he says two words to Philip. He says, follow me. Now, let me just ask you. If some guy comes up off the street and says to you, follow me. What will you do or say? You will say, certainly I will not, sir. Right? And kids, let me just ask you, if a stranger comes up to you and says, follow me, you do what? That's right, stranger danger. Let's all be really, really clear. So what makes this different? Well, for a rabbi, to choose someone is a really big deal because they're inviting them in to an entirely new way of living. It was really, frankly, a privilege to be asked. And there was probably for Philip, maybe a little context or relationship behind it, but he does follow Jesus. And in the midst of it, that big story starts to connect the dots in his head. The stories that Moses talked about, that the things that the prophets pointed towards, the things that are said in the Psalms that all speak about this Messiah that is to come and Philip's connecting these dots and he's going, I can't keep this to myself. I've got to tell others about it. So he goes to a guy named Nathanael and he goes, Nate, Nate, do you know, you know how we've been raised? You know how in our scriptures it says in the Old Testament, do you know like about Moses saying this and David doing that and all those things? I think we have found the one. And Nathanael's like, what are you talking about? I mean, he has some built-in resistance. Like I think many of us do. We have this like, this like, especially, you know how when someone's really excited about something, it makes you want to be way less excited? You know that? I think that he's experiencing that push-pull in that moment. And he's like, man, I don't know. Like, where's this cat even from? And Philip goes, he's from Nazareth. He goes, Nazareth? You might as well have told me he was a Patriots fan. Like, that's crazy. What good could come from, from Nazareth? And then Philip just says, well, like just... Do you want to just come and see? 
So there's something in Nathanael that just said, yes, I'll just take that step. I'm just going to take that step. I'll come and see. And they are approaching Jesus when Jesus sees them uh, from afar and calls them out by name, Nathanael. And he knows something about his story. And Nathanael, by the time he gets to Jesus, he's like, I think maybe you are the one. I think you maybe are the one. And Jesus goes, wow, man, you're like really easily impressed because I'm going to do a lot bigger things than just know your name and know your story. In fact, Here's what he says. Check this out. This is so cool. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on me. He uses a, a reference, the son of man, but he's talking about himself in that moment. What is Jesus doing? He is connecting 2,500 years prior, this dream to J of Jacob's of God saying, look, this is bigger than you. Actually, in your story, Jacob, I'm gonna connect your moment to all of eternity. And that moment is being confirmed, Jesus says, in him. Now, is that exciting? What happened in the dream is now happening in the flesh. How cool is that? And what I love more than anything is how it happened. It wasn't a dream. It happened actually through friendship, through a relationship. It happened because one guy, Philip, had an encounter. He had his own sighting, and he couldn't contain it. And he didn't have it all figured out, by the way. He just kind of had a prompting or a nudge or, or a hunch. He could not have passed a theological exam on who this Jesus was, but he wasn't going to contain it either. And he just went to Nate and said, what I have, I'm going to offer you. I won't be defensive about it. I'll just say, why don't you come and see? And Nathanael did, and he experienced sightings, not in hindsight, but through another friend's sight, through friendship. And that's what began to happen for Cindy. Cindy Jerome, in the midst of her anger and her pain, was befriended by some women at school, uh, the school of her kids, by a hairstylist who was called just to kind of love on her every time she was in her stylist's seat. She was invited to what we do around here called the Alpha Course, where we just explore who Jesus is, what this faith thing is, and slowly but surely, this wound, those questions began to get answered and are still being answered. She's still in process, but now she's a part of a family. Let's watch. This friend of mine met me, all she saw was this big hole and like a shotgun. And I didn't know how to fill it up. I didn't know what to fill it up with. There's all kinds of choices out there. Then when tragedy struck with um, losing Reese, um, there was just this softening and this opening um, that I just stepped into with Cindy and uh, brought another friend, Deborah, in. And we, um, Deborah's this hairstylist, and I said, hey, Deb, you know, um, I have this friend. And Deborah knew, we all, all of our kids went to the same school, so she knew Cindy too. So when Cindy would come in and we would spend time doing her hair, I could feel a deep sense of friendship with Cindy. But she was so broken and so hard and unapproachable. I could relate to her losing Reese because we had lost a stillborn son as well. I knew that just praying for her and being able to spend time with her and make her feel beautiful was where Jesus wanted me to be. When you're brought down so hard, and that's not something that I'm used to, that's not something I admit, 
Let's put it that way. No matter how low you go, you always, you know, fake it. Um, so you don't want people to get to know you because you know that you're not real. Because you're just surviving. Having this group of women around me, I was allowed to be myself. And they still love me. <laughs> That's the amazing part. Um, I don't do girlfriends. That's not what this is. This comes from love. This comes from the Holy Spirit. I know what they say to me is just, it's all good. It's all good. And it's been, what, over a year? It's been over a year, I think, that I've gotten involved with this. It's always been a resource of love and a resource of welcoming and just never felt that before. It's family. It's better than family. <laughs>
And it's there that Cleopas, with another companion, we don't know who it was, maybe his wife, maybe just a friend, but they left Jerusalem in that room with all that crazy talk, and they're walking the seven miles to their hometown called Emmaus, and they're trying to figure it out. And just imagine, it'd be this like, did you hear Peter when he said, and what about Mary, when, and, and then were you there when, and what about that man? They're just like trying to make all sorts of sense of it when this man walks up alongside them and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they just stopped dead in their tracks like, what are you talking about, man? Like, where have you been? And they're like, have you not seen the sky go dark at midday? Did you not see the, the like tomb split open and dead people walking around? Did you not see the near riot or the temple veil splitting from top to bottom? It's like a zombie apocalypse, man. Where have you been? And this man was just like, well, tell me really, like, what's going on? They begin to tell him about this man, Jesus, they, and, they, and how he had lived this amazing life and how he had died. And now the folks and the friends and the women are saying that maybe he's been raised from the dead, or at least we can't find where his, his body is. And that's where this man says, well, it sounds like this is just how God wrote it up. Sounds like this is exactly everything that's been pointed to since, since before our age. And, and then this man goes on to say, well, like, I mean, when Moses talked about how the Redeemer, the Messiah, would come from your own kinship. Or how Isaiah, our prophet, said that, that the suffering servant must be pierced for our transgressions. Or how the psalmist, you remember how the psalmist said that the Holy One would not undergo decay? And how about the promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob that all nations of the earth will be blessed through them? And, and so we don't actually know all the stories this man told, but we know he took them to school on the Old Testament and all the many, it says all the different prophecies. And there's over 300 of them that point to the moment that they found themselves in right then and right there. And I gotta tell you, those seven miles went really fast. They got to Emmaus and this man acted like he was gonna keep walking. They're like, no, 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 no. I'm like, stay with us, like something's going on here. Stay with us, come have a meal. And it's around that table where the customary tradition is, the head of the household would grab the bread, break it, give thanks, and then pass it around. Well, this stranger commandeers it all. He grabs the bread, he breaks it, and then bam, that's when their eyes are open. And they realize, this is Jesus. He's, he, he's alive. He's been raised from the dead, and he's sitting at our table in Emmaus. This is incredible. And they turn to one, and they're like, did you see this come? I mean, what about you? Like, man, was your heart on fire? My heart was on fire. And then, bam, he's gone. He just disappears. And within the hour, they bolt up and pack down from Emmaus, and they race back to Jerusalem. Those seven miles, they never sprinted faster. And they get to that little room where all the Peter and James and John and Mary and, and all the, they're all gathered together, and they get to the door, and they're <laughs> and the door opens, and they're like, <sighs> it's true, it's true. And they go, we know it's true, because Jesus appeared to Peter too. And they're like, yeah, wait, 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 what, what, yeah, he appeared to Peter. And they're going, well, he appeared to us. This is amazing. And they're like comparing notes when Jesus appears right in the middle of them. And he says, with the understatement of the century, peace be with you. 
And they're like freaking out. And they're like, what? They're like, no, 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 look, it's me, it's me, it's me. And like, check out, like, look at the holes in my hand. That just happened, right? Or, or on my feet. And they're still freaking out. He goes, well, okay, give me a fish. Because if you think I'm a ghost, ghosts can't eat fish, right? Which I didn't know. I didn't know that. Uh, but, but apparently he goes, like, I'll prove to you. I'm, gonna, I'm a physical human being fully divine, but give me the fish. He pops it back and they're still like, whoa, and they're just freaking out. It's almost like Jesus is being playful in this resurrected moment of joy. And then he turns to a poignant moment and he says this. And he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to what? All nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Is this not the ultimate story of God was there and I did not know it in the flesh, our risen Lord? If this story didn't happen... If this sighting didn't, uh, didn't uh, occur, then every other sighting goes by the wayside. If the grave is not empty, then Jacob's story is still just a dream. If the grave is not empty, then Nathanael and Philip just met a really good man who knew a few things about his name and about his story, but he would go on to die and nothing more. If the grave is not empty, then as the Apostle Paul says, we of all people are to be pitied because our faith is useless. See, this moment, this sighting is the swing hinge, the pivot point of history. All moments for thousands of years lead up and point to it. And all the years past, the ones we're living in, point back to it. It is the pivot point that anchors and informs our history and anchors and informs our very hope today, the risen Christ. All other sightings are confirmed in this one. But there's one more promise that Jesus offers, which you kind of go, man, I don't know, you've had a pretty good run. I don't know that we need more promises. You, you have come back from the dead. And he goes, no, no, no. There's a promise now for you and also for us. And we see it in what he said at the very end. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. What is that promise? He called the shot. He said, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be raised from the dead. But there's another promise. See, this is incredible. This is actually the promise before the promise because the story ends with Jesus who ascended into the heavenly realm just after this, appearing to over 500 witnesses all at once and individually. And he ascended up into the heavenly realm and he said, I'm going to return one day literally and physically, and I'm going to make all things new. And all that was lost in the garden, I will restore, where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more decay. But there's a promise in between that means something for you and for me. And we see it most explicitly when Jesus was having a conversation just a few days prior to that moment. John chapter 14 captures it and says this, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you 
forever. The Spirit of truth. You know Him. You know the Holy Spirit. For He lives with you and will be in you. Do you see what I think is so amazing about all of this? Is that this ultimate sighting is such that God just didn't like one day say, how am I going to get us out of this mess? Oh, I know. I'll, I'll send my very son, a member of the Trinity, and he's going to do this thing and the grave's going to be empty. No, like since before the foundations of the world began, if there's one thread I want you to see is from Abraham and before Abraham for thousands of years, God has been marching us towards this moment and this day in our history that confirms everything else. From Abraham to David to the psalmist to the prophets, fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And what makes this sighting different than the others? Well, in the Old Testament day, if you wanted to encounter God, have sight of God, you'd go to the temple or the synagogue, or you'd have a theophany, this one-off encounter with God. That happened to Jacob in a dream. You might be familiar with the story of Moses in a burning bush, or Hagar, who was pregnant and fleeing, and out in the desert in the wilderness, and God found her by a well and spoke to her and said, I see you, I see you, I see you. Those are theophanies. Today, because the grave is empty and the promise that you and I all have, our sightings happen all the time. We have the Holy Spirit who is with us to guide us, counsel us, empower us, and who is with us forever. And then see this, who lives with you and will be in you. And you know what this means? This leads to our fourth sighting. The fourth sighting is us, you and me, for any and all who have given our life to Jesus and say, I believe in you, I believe your death, and the forgiveness of sins. I believe your power over death and the resurrection. I believe one day you will return and make all things new. And I'm giving you my life. And I'm asking you to give me a new life with new hope and a deeper purpose than I've ever known before. Where now you and I, you and I, by God's spirit taking residence in our hearts, we get, get to be the sightings of God to other people, his very hands and feet. We get to be the bushes set on fire. We get to be the well that people cling to and say to that person, I see you, I see you, I see you. We get to be the stone holding up someone's head so they can have a vision of God. We get to be like Philip, where we just simply say to someone else, here's what I'm experiencing, I offer it to you. Just come and see, we get to be the sightings that others in our world and in their despair so desperately need. And I just want to ask you, I just want to ask you to just pause for a moment. Is it true that in your life there have been moments in your past where you could not see God, but now you know that He was there and He was always there? Is there a moment now where you cannot see him, but we're going to leverage the experience from the past to say, from hindsight in the past, I'm going to leverage that to say, God, I will seek you and search for you here and now, and I will trust by faith that you are working still here in my life. And are you open to that possibility? 
And thirdly, I want to ask you, maybe you, like me, so often been living with your own resourcefulness, your own abilities and gifts and talents, your own provisions and self-dependency, but do you know that there is a power from heaven made available to all who believe, namely the Holy Spirit? And maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and empower your life in a whole new way so that you can be a sighting to others. That's what Cindy's been learning. As she's gone through the Alpha course and experience, as she's been befriended by others who were sightings to her, she's learning that as she gave her life to Jesus, as she stepped into the waters of baptism, she has come out setting other bushes on fire as a sighting for others. Let's watch. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to feel that bolt of lightning and I wanted to hear God booming voice and you know and so I just shied away from it the first time and then the second time the next year or the next six months rolled around and um, I knew that Jesus was just standing right there I knew that he was just right there and all I had to do was say okay Take me, do, do with me what you will, you know. And um, that was the beginning. That was the beginning. I took a picture of Reese and I put it in my shirt and then we dunked together in baptism. And I came up bawling. It was just outrageous. All my friends were standing around and said, you guys have to help me now. You guys have to be with me now. You have to show me now. She just said, let's do this together. Can we just live life? Will you help me? Help me, please. And I knew that that moment that the Holy Spirit had come over her and she was ready to do this. I've got God in my life now. I've got Holy Spirit. I've got a cloak, man. I mean, you know, I've just got something that is, I can hold on to. And um, that's what I felt like when I raised up out of those out of the water. Cindy is a very strong leader, and it's so beautiful to watch God unfold this purpose and this plan He has for her. Um, she's just she is coming alive, and she has. I believe that God's transformed her life because He loves Cindy so much. That's what the Father does, but I also believe that He's transformed her life because she's going to tell others about it and she's going to help in the transformation of others' lives. And so that's what's so beautiful about her is she can't contain it or keep it in. She's so vivacious and she has so such good news to share. Something that's new for me is not feeling less than. Now, though, I think I'm going to have to change that because of my love and the Holy Spirit that's come into me, um, made me feel like I have something to offer. I've got something to give. I've got something that shows through to other people that I, did, I never recognized that before until it was pointed out to me. And so this makes me want to reach out, makes me want to be a part of this mission of community.